everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello and welcome to the Animal Files podcast. We have a special guest. We have Birgit from MCS.dog. She is an animal behaviorist and she also wrote a book called Keep Your Paws on the Road. And we're going to talk how to properly, effectively, and pleasantly (laughs) travel with your animal. So welcome, Birgit. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So grateful to have you here with us here on the Animal Files. Thank you so much, Victoria. And it's my pleasure to be here. I'm excited to talk to you guys. I'm excited because I want to learn how to travel with my cat. It's not a dog, but I can probably take some of that and utilize it for my cat. So I'm excited. We're going to try to keep this real casual so you guys get to know Birgit and you follow her as well. So take it away, Miranda. Yeah, I think this is a topic that is really great timing right now because more and more people are wanting to travel or have been traveling and a lot more people have pets these days than prior to everything that's been going on. Mm -hmm. So I think that helping people to really understand how to effectively, as Victoria said, effectively, properly, presently, (laughs) pleasantly, (laughs) pleasantly, okay. (laughs) but that these are all important things to know about you might think that traveling with your animal is as simple as getting their stuff together getting your animal putting them in the vehicle and taking off and Birgit is going to shed some light on that there is a lot more involved than that can't wait So just to give you a little bit of how Birgit and her husband, Jim, got into this is that they are avid travelers and they are also very active outdoors doing all kinds of activities such as kayaking, hiking and horseback riding. So that means either they need to bring their dogs with them or they would have to leave their dogs in a kennel or with some kind of caregiver if they weren't to bring them with them. So they have chosen to plan their vacation around their dogs and always take them with them. They notice that other dog owners would love to travel with their pets, but oftentimes don't because of three main reasons. Their dog doesn't behave, they think it isn't possible, or they don't know how. And I would say there's also probably people who have traveled with their dogs and ended up encountering challenges. So maybe you'd like to elaborate on that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Miranda, for the for the nice overview. Yes, you know, Jim and I are both dog trainers and behaviorists for, for many, many years. And we've been married for 26 years. And we're very, well, maybe I'm the one that's more adventurous than my husband, but right away, we love to travel. And it started out that we actually used to travel without our dogs, but we would find ourselves in these beautiful locations and we would always look at each other and go, oh, I wish we had the dogs, right? The dogs would love this place. We'd be Mm -hmm. walking down the beach and go, gosh, I wish we would have our dogs. And so we both realized we really miss our animals when we're traveling. So out of that came the need of starting to plan our travels around our animals. And as we were starting to travel more and more, we were encountering other people that also wanted to travel with their pets and they would, you know, come up to us and they pet our dogs and say, gosh, I wish I could bring my dog, but I don't think it's possible because my dog has all these problems when we travel or he's not comfortable in the car or he doesn't want to stay in a hotel room. And so the more we encountered uh, people, the more we realized, you know, all of us who have pets and not just dogs, but pets, 
we realize that we get those animals because we want to share our lives with them and we want to share the adventure of life with them. And that includes taking them wherever we go. And when we were thinking travel, it wasn't just going on vacation for, you know, three weeks to fly to Germany or France or go down to Joshua National Forest. It was about going down to the farmer's market or taking a camping trip with your animal and not having to think about who's going to house it, who's going to feed the dog, who's going to feed the cat, but rather saying, you know, these animals are part of our family and we want these adventures together with our family members and bring them along. And so that's how the book came to be. And when we started writing it, we really looked at it from the perspective of one an animal behaviorist. So it was all focused on how can we make sure that an animal is comfortable in unfamiliar surroundings, because that's the number one challenge when we travel with our pets, especially when it comes to cats, but also with dogs, because they love their familiar surroundings. And so taking them away from that can be very challenging for them. And then the other part was, how can we make an animal a travel companion so that it's comfortable for the owner? Because, and the number one thing with that is, if you go to a farmer's market and your dog barks at everybody and drags you around the farmer's market and you're not enjoying you know, the shopping experience, next time you go to the farmer's market, you're gonna say, I'm just gonna leave Fido at home. I'm not gonna take him today. And so the animal loses and the relationship of the animal owner loses and the dream of sharing our lives together really loses. So that was the premise behind the book. Um, when we started writing it, we wrote it into two parts. Part one is all about how can I prepare myself and my animal for travel? And then part two is how can I enjoy traveling with my pets and what are the options out there? Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. And this is more the vacations, camping, stuff like that. Cause I know a lot of people think that they're traveling with their dog by taking them to the grocery store and leaving the dog in the car. And then there's a whole mm-hmm. barrage of issues that come up with that. Oh yeah. Both legal and just inhumane. This is more or less having family experiences and including the dog and including your animals in these experience, not going to Dunkin' Donuts for, to grab a cup of coffee, you know, Mm -hmm. or going to Walmart, leaving them in the car while you sit there and shop for a half an hour. That's not what we're talking about. So I'd like to have you elaborate on that a little bit, because I have a real soapbox about people who take their animals places and just leave them in the vehicles. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I couldn't agree more. And yes, absolutely. It's not about taking your pet and then leaving them, you know, in the car or leaving them in the hotel room. And and that was the whole reason about uh, writing the book, because one of the things that we did when we wrote the book is we started to research a little bit about pet friendly places. And a lot of places that were not pet friendly were telling us they weren't pet friendly because of bad experiences Mm -hmm. that they've had with people doing exactly what you just said, whether or not it's, you know, they bring their dog and tie them outside and then shop at the store, but the dogs out there are making a ruckus or uh, especially with hotels and, and vacation rentals, we found that a lot of times people would bring their animals, but then would just leave the animals and they would either destroy um, you know, the property in the, in the rental, or they would, you know, make uh, a lot of noise. So they would be disturbing other people that were also in the hotel or next door in an RV park. And those are the issues that we really want to help people through, because if you have an animal that you haven't prepared for travel, then you get in these behavior issues. Because again, what a lot of people that we found just simply do is they'll just take the animal along, but they haven't prepared themselves or their pet for travel. And so the experience is usually a negative one. And unfortunately Mm -hmm. from that also stems a lot of places that more and more become not dog friendly or not pet friendly because they've had bad experiences. Yeah. Thank Mm -hmm. you. 
Yeah. Thank you for elaborating on that. (laughs) I would imagine that the ideal thing to do if you want to travel with your pet is to start them when they're young, as young as possible, because that will help them to adapt and get used to the whole process. I would think that an older animal will take a little more effort to try to get them used to and comfortable. And maybe sometimes there is the possibility that it won't happen. Is that true? As a primarily for dog owners, I have to say you can teach an old dog new tricks and dogs are actually very, very forgiving. And that's the beautiful thing about dogs is that it doesn't matter how old your dog is. And even if you get a 10 year old dog and he's never traveled in his entire life, if you do the proper steps to make your animal comfortable and safe with the traveling experience, they won't have a problem because dogs primarily look for the person. So the person Mm -hmm. gives or the family gives the dog the security. So it doesn't, Mm -hmm. the environment is um, a a factor, but primarily it's the person. So as long as the person shows you're with me and you're good, then that's usually not a problem. With Mm -hmm. cats, for instance, and other animals, it can be a little bit more challenging because cats, but also other animals uh, like birds, or I'm thinking it hamsters or whatever other pets people might travel with. The Mm -hmm. challenge there is that their comfort and their safety primarily comes from their environment and not from the person. So they feel Mm -hmm. a lot safer when they're at home, where they're used to the environment. So travel becomes a little bit more challenging because we have to consider always providing that comfortable environment for them. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. I've been trying to figure out ways to slowly transition my cat Maisie into a travel cat. She's going to be three in July. So she's already accustomed and she has a lot of fears that she's created. Sometimes I think she's just being a drama queen, but (laughs) 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 those of you who listen to this podcast know my cat is a pretty quirky animal. So I've, you know, been trying to research different items that she can get used to that might give her that extra security. And I'm looking at it at a way where she can be with me all the time. So she can eventually learn that adapting the dog behavior of Mm -hmm. just being comfortable that mommy and daddy are here. So that means I'm okay. And I know that's going to take a little bit of effort. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, we used to travel with the cat. So when we wrote the book, keep your paws on the road, our family consisted of three dogs and a cat and eventually we found our easiest way was to travel in an RV. And it was twofold. One was because the cat was much more comfortable because the RV always remained the same. It didn't Mm -hmm. matter if we were in Oregon or in California or in Montana or in Washington, because she was still at home in the RV. And it was also very nice for the dogs because rather than having to get used to a hotel room with different smells or vacation rental with different smells, the environment in the RV, again, it was all of their home, all of their bedding. And it to the dogs going out on adventures is perfect, right? They, that, that's what they totally live for, that that's uh, great for them. But then coming home, or if we had to go to the grocery store and they couldn't go, staying in the RV was really the preferred way to travel. And that is one of the things that we find for our family and for our way to travel that has always been the easiest for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I hear what you're saying. And I just recently talked to another behaviorist and she specializes in cat behavior. And she said, you know, a lot of times as cat owners, we think of cats as more homebodies. So we don't do a lot of the things that we do with dogs, right? If you think about it, when we get a new dog, we take them everywhere. We show them to all of our friends. Everybody holds the puppy. But when we get a new kitten, we usually just leave them at home, let them hide under the couch, right? So it's a totally different way. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, And my cat is a pandemic cat. So we got her in September before the pandemic hit. So mm-hmm. she doesn't know anybody. My uncle came into my house for 15 minutes and she was behind the couch for four hours. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a little bit of an issue. And I think we're going to start with just putting her in the car in her thing and just taking her around the block and coming back home. 
And just doing that a few times. So she associates the car with, okay, we're not going to the vet. We're not going to be on the road for an hour and a half. And so she can get used to it. That's what we're going to start with around the block. And then maybe the grocery store, I'll stay in the car with her while my husband shops, but at least she gets used to going somewhere and stopping for a little bit. And then who knows, maybe we can go to PetSmart where, you know, she's in our little harness and then we can actually go into the store. So I have this like multi-phase plan (laughs) that hopefully (laughs) is going to help because by December, she's going to be with us in a vacation home for a week Perfect with the family. So I figure if we start now, or as soon as the weather gets warmer, then we can start bringing her and she may go to Vermont in October. So we're going to start little. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly, and and really that's, that's almost the the first part of our book, right? It's, it's realizing that Travel doesn't start the day that you go on vacation. You know, preparing your pet for travel starts a lot sooner. If you have the dream or the wish to travel with your pet, then it's something that you should start long before you ever go on the trip. And you do exactly what you just said, Victoria, whereas you you start making little trips and making them fun. And also uh, one of the things that I talk about in the book is get your pet used to different surroundings, because when you travel, things change all the time and you can't think of all the things that you're going to be encountering, but giving your pet different experience, short-term experiences of, like I said, and especially again with the dog, going to a farmer's market or, you know, an outdoor event or to the park, those are all the things that you're going to be encountering as you're traveling with your pet. So give them the opportunity to do those first and become good at being comfortable. And there are some skills that we talk about too, that every pet should have before you take them out into public areas. Mm -hmm. Sounds like keep your paws on the road is a good read for anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and and like I said, I mean, we say, you know, yes, a practical guide to traveling with pets, but really it's a practical guide to living a fun life with your pet. And and again, to go back to the beginning, the idea is we all got our pets because we wanted to do things with them. We didn't want them to just sit at home and wait for us to get back Mm -hmm. home. Um, We really wanted them to be part of our life. And, and I think that's, the main thing behind the book is to give people the opportunity to make it where their pets are comfortable enough to take them anywhere you would like to take them. I think there's a lot of trust that still has to be built for the travel to be a positive experience for everybody. And I've heard that sometimes animals, dogs in particular, just because I think they're the ones who usually are taken into vehicles, but that sometimes they can have a fear around vehicles and they're scared to even just get into the vehicle in the first place. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a very good point. And uh, in fact, several chapters of the book talk about the travel vehicle and the different types of travel, because we didn't just cover people that would drive in their car, but we also wanted to cover people that may travel with an RV, people that may travel on a boat, people that may travel by airplane, people that may travel by train. So we wanted to cover all of the different options that people may have. Mm -hmm. We even encountered a person that is motorcycling with his two dogs. So (laughs) yeah, so, you know, there's all kinds of um, different ways, obviously, in which you can travel with your pet. And you're absolutely right. The travel vehicle has to be something that is comfortable. And really all aspects of travel have to be, I think the dog owner or the pet owner should always consider the safety and the comfort of the pet. So those are our number two things that that are very, very important when it comes to traveling. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things, one of the chapters in the book, in the first part about getting yourself and your pet prepared for travel is one, how do I make my travel vehicle comfortable? So how do I set up where my pet travels? And oftentimes people don't even think about that. Most, Most people will just the dog just goes and hopefully lays down somewhere. And then here's all these, you know, bags and things that are flying around on the backseat while you're traveling mm-hmm. or, you know, same with, with maybe the cat carrier just pushed in between all of the, you know, other camping gear. So it's kind of important to consider how will my pet travel while we're traveling mm. and then set up that area for the pet to be comfortable, easy, accessible. And we talk about exercises that you can do with your 
primarily with your dog, how to get in and out of the vehicle. Because for dogs, it's very important that they get into the vehicle on their own four feet. Mm. A lot of times what people will do, especially with little dogs, is they will pick up a dog and they will put it into the car. And the brain of the dog does not understand how they got into Mm. the vehicle and that will make them very uncomfortable. Mm. And then if you immediately start to drive, not only do they not know how they got where they're at, but why is all of a sudden the entire world flying by them, right? When they can look out. Mm. So it becomes very uncomfortable to them. And those are usually the dogs that get car sick, that there's a lot of anxiety, drooling, whining, being restless. And so we go through an entire way of teaching a dog to become very comfortable. You should never start your vehicle or start driving unless your dog is laying down and is comfortably laying down. And so that's, those are some of the things that we teach in the first part. And every chapter has uh, just general where we talk about the ideas behind what we're talking about. And then we'll always have a couple of exercises that you can do with your pet Mm. to reach those skills and become more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, in my opinion, the largest challenge, or the biggest challenge for traveling is when it comes to traveling by air, because there's so many safety, stress factors, and all of that, that come into play with that. You can address a lot of those things much more easily, I think, with the other forms of travel. But with airlines, you're kind of limited to what you can do to prepare your animal and to make sure that they are going to be safe the whole way through. Yeah, air travel is scary to me. Yes, and especially if you travel with large dogs or large animals, because of course there is a weight limit for pets that are allowed in the cabin. So if you have a smaller dog, if your pet carrier and your pet is under 20 pounds, so you are usually allowed with many airlines to bring that pet on board with you and have it uh, as a carry-on item. So you'd have it right there with you in the cabin under the seat, which it would always be the preferred way to travel mm-hmm. with the dog or cat or any other pet. Unfortunately, most of the airlines have started to limit the number of pets they allow in the cabin. And then of course the weight limit is a big deal. So Mm -hmm. any pet that you have, that's over, I'm going to say over 10 pounds because your pet carrier goes with that weight limit of 20 pounds Mm -hmm. is not going to be able to travel. Um, Now I have looked very much into other options because we do travel internationally with our dogs And there are private charters that you can do. They're unfortunately very, very expensive, but there are options to travel and fly with larger dogs in the cabin. You just have to find the right resources to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. I also ended up discovering a couple of airlines that are exclusive for pets. And so the owners don't travel in those airlines. They basically have the cabin and they'll have shelving. So a carrier can be on top and a carrier can be at the bottom and they've got animal health techs or vet techs and maybe a vet that will be constantly monitoring them and making sure they've got food and water and that the temperature is okay and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what the cost is for that. Maybe it's around the same cost as a charter or maybe it's not. I'm not sure, but I I think it's a great alternative anyways. It certainly is a better alternative than having a pet flying cargo, you know, because again, either way, the dog or the pet would not be with you. But again, I guess it goes with uh, the whole premise of the book is from the very beginning, if I choose to travel with my pet, then I'm going to find ways or look for travel that my pet can be a part of and safely and comfortably be a part of. And so for me personally, at least as a, as a pet owner, if I can't travel with my dog, then I'm not going to travel to that location. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's kind of neat. I just recently did an interview with a gentleman. Uh, his name is Christian Stoinoff, and he's actually an athlete. And um, him and his dogs do uh, NBA halftime shows. And he was part of America's um, Got Talent shows. And he travels all over the world with his dogs. And both of his dogs are small. They're, they're uh, chihuahuas. So they're usually allowed to travel in the cabin with him. But when he traveled to Great Britain, they would not allow pets at all in the cabins. They just don't allow pets. And he chose not to go there. So he said, if I can't travel with my pet, 
because I mean, they offered him that they could fly the dog on a different airplane or, you know, fly the dog in cargo. And he just said, you know, if I can't come with my dog or if my dog can't travel with me, then I'm not going to do the show. And so he declined actually to go there. And I thought that spoke very highly of mm-hmm. him. And that that is how I personally feel too. It's like, I'm, I'm going to arrange my travel around my pets because there are family members. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like saying you're going to leave your kids at home right. or your husband at home because the airline doesn't allow right. them. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's a really good question that people should ask themselves before they even get an animal is, do I want to travel? Where do I want to travel to? And can I bring my pets with me when I go to these places? If not, maybe it's not a good time for me to get a pet. I think that's a that's a very valid point. Absolutely. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of paperwork that is involved going into some of these countries that allow you to travel with your pet. Is that correct? Does your animal have to have its own like basic passport or whatever? In Europe, they actually have what is called a pet passport, but basically it's pretty standard. It, it just means that it's just one place that you could write down or your veterinarian could write down or, or certify that your pet has all of the vaccinations required. And that's really the only thing that's needed is a, a health certificate mm-hmm. and proper vaccinations. I find that actually the hardest places that I've learned to travel with my pet and and we actually go there quite often is Hawaii, the state of Hawaii, because they have time limits. Uh, Thank goodness they used to have a quarantine and I never took any flights to Hawaii prior to them raising that and they no longer require pets to go into quarantine. However, you have to have specifically like your health certificate can't be older than 30 days mm-hmm. and your rabies and shots can't be older than three months. So those are some of the things that are, you know, because then you have to be very, very careful. Okay, here's where my flight is. So I have to be sure I get into the vet. I have to be sure that I get all of, you know, these certificates done in time. Right. And I know too, that um, if you travel around certain times of the year, if it's like particularly hot or particularly cold, then there's an acclimatization certificate that has to be done as well. More for the cold than the hot, because I think with the hot, the airlines just will say, no, it's too hot. We're not allowing any animals, period. Yeah. And that's the challenge that I come into because we live in Phoenix, Arizona, which is obviously some of the hottest summers in the United States. So basically, we can't fly out of Phoenix after May 1st, mm-hmm. because when the temperature gets too hot, they, they can't, simply can't keep the cabin cool enough if you had a dog in cargo. Right. Now, I have a question you had mentioned with Hawaii. I'm glad they raised the the quarantine restrictions because it was pretty long. Um, I get why they did it. Six months. Yeah. Yeah. But you had mentioned the rabies can't be more than three months old. So let's say you are a business person and you travel to Hawaii on business, say three, four times a year. Does that mean your animal needs to be shot with the bat rabies vaccine three, four times a year? Yeah, unfortunately. Oh my gosh. And that's one of the reasons why I, I really, you know, those are some considerations because these days, you know, rabies vaccination is good for three years. But if you travel to the state of Hawaii, then that that rabies shot can't be older than, you know, I think it might be either three or six months. But wow, and they won't accept a tighter, huh? Wow, that's I have a problem with the over vaccination of our animals in this country. Nine times out of 10, if your animal gets vaccinated once, the titer will probably come back immune six, seven years, 10 years later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we did a whole show on that. And if you want to go back and listen, you can. But it is kind of sad that these people do that to our animals. And so mm-hmm. it's very important, like you said, to do your research and to make your travel plans around your animal. If your animal can't go, change the plans because we don't want to put our animals at risk for any reason just because we can't go to Hawaii. You know, at that just, uh, yeah. Okay, another soapbox. I won't stand on it. I promise I won't stand on it. I think the RV travel is a great way of doing it, but I think that's not a method that is available for a lot of people. So 
what kind of tips could you suggest to people to help their animals feel the most comfortable if they're not able to be able to stay in the same environment while they're traveling? Yeah. So we, in the book, we talk a lot about the fact that people may travel, um, you know, by car, which is probably when I'm thinking in the United States outside of RV travel and flying, that would probably be the preferred method. I would think for anybody that travels with a pet and so getting your car, ready you know we talked about it a little bit as I was saying make a specific place in the vehicle for the pet get the pet used to traveling in that vehicle Mm -hmm. frequent stops just like everybody else one of the things that I highly recommend we have a whole chapter in the book about potty on command a lot of people don't realize that when you start to travel uh, especially with a car you're going to come into places where your dog doesn't want to do his business. You know, he's going to be so distracted when you, you know, stopping at the side of the road, you know, gas, food, everybody run and use the bathroom and the dog is there and goes, I can't go. There's all these different um, smells here. And this is weird. You actually have to teach your dog to potty in different unknown places. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is to teach your dog what we call potty on command, where there's actually a, a saying I use, do your biz but you could do anything. Some people say go potty, but have a certain you know phrase that the dog has learned and that will make the dog actually focus more on what is expected of him rather than being so taken by all of the different smells and the different surroundings and other cars zooming by and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, very helpful thing. Like I said, a lot of people, when, um, when we talk about it, I was on other talk shows and I said, what, what do you think is one of the most important skills for a dog to learn before they should go travel? And I said, potty on command. And they were like, really? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a big deal. You know, yeah. seems like such a little thing. But the other thing is different surfaces, right? Because most mm-hmm. of us that have a dog that you haven't traveled with, the dog will be very um, used to either going on grass or going on gravel or wherever you might be taking the dog or in your backyard. Mm-hmm. And so it's very difficult for a dog to change that. And also, as we're talking airline travel, you know, most of the airports these days have pet relief stations but they're very sanitary, right? So it's either concrete that they might paint green to look like grass, but it's not grass. And of course it smells like deodorizer Mm -hmm. and, you know, all the chemicals that they use to, to clean that area. So it's most dogs, unless you have taught them to relieve themselves there will not go there Mm. because that's just not what a dog does. So that's, you know, one of the skills, I guess, that I would talk about. Um, The other thing I talked about um, being comfortable and being safe. The number one thing we talk about is that your pet should have two skills. One is it should know that the safest place is you. And to elaborate on that a little bit, an animal that gets hurt, if your dog got stung by a bee or, you know, stepped on, most animals will actually run away, meaning they will hide somewhere because something hurt them. What we could do though, and with the exercise in the book, we teach them that they should always come to us. Mm. So they never get into trouble when they come to us. We're the absolute safest place. And that is so important. It's not that important in your backyard or in your home, but it's very important when you're all of a sudden in Seattle at the farmer's market and your leash breaks and your dog is scared and he runs off. And now he doesn't, because he doesn't have any place to go because he doesn't know anything. Mm -hmm. He has never been in this area before. So it's very important to have that skill. And then the second one is uh, we teach all of our animals to respect open doorways and they can never go through an open door without an invitation. Mm -hmm. And that works for every door that works for our garage door, our hotel room door, our car door, our RV door, the crate door. So the animal knows that they are not allowed to go through any threshold without being invited to come out. Mm. And again, we learned in our research when we wrote the book, the number one way people lose their pet is to open that hotel room door, they open that RV door, they're in a completely new surrounding, 
the dog happens to run away and normally a dog would just probably come back home if you were at, at your house a dog would you know run around the block and then more than likely come back home but now the dog can't do that because he doesn't know where he's at he's frantic he's afraid and so that's the number one way that people actually lose their pets while traveling yeah i was questioning and i think i'm going to do it anyway just for my own mindset but one of the first things i'm going to do when we start to get Maisie ready for travel is we're going to get a microchipped. Now she's an indoor cat. She'll never be outdoors. But if she is going to travel with us, even if she will never be by herself, I'm going to have her microchip because you never know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Would you recommend that for dog owners as well who are traveling? Oh, always. And not just for dog owners who are traveling. Any any pet owner should have their pet microchip. Um, all my dogs are microchipped because yes, um, you know, a microchip isn't just great when your pet gets it's lost. But what if your pet gets stolen? Mm -hmm. I mean, we in the Phoenix area, we actually have a huge amount of people that lose their pets if they have a, a nice dog that somebody will come into their backyard and actually take that pet and then later sell it. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have a microchip, more than likely, if that pet comes through a, through a veterinarian, you could prove that that was your dog, right? Because you could say that dog was lost and you can actually, through the microchip on the website, you could say, my pet was stolen. So next time that chip is actually scanned, ah. there's an alert on there that says I'm looking for this right. dog. So yes, that, that is definitely the number one thing I would say. If you have a cat, I would highly recommend, uh, but even with some dogs, uh, especially if you have a dog that's a hunting breed or a prey driven dog, get a tracker. We did an interview with Tractive, which is one of the most attractive trackers uh, on the market right now, which is basically on the collar. You have a GPS device that will track your animal and you can go onto your cell phone and you could basically know where that animal mm -hmm. is. And that's something that's also great for, for cat owners, just for cats that love cruising the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So, you know, oh, he's over here or she's over here. Always have a name on the collar, obviously. And I prefer the ones that are flush with the collar rather than the hanging tags because the hanging tags get caught up on something and you could actually, your, your cat or your dog can get hung up on a fence or they can mm. actually, uh, like a, a lot point. of, yeah, we, we've seen it in RVs. I don't know if you know, but they have grates in the RV where the, where the heat comes oh. out. Well, if your dog's tag get hung up in there, they can actually kill themselves because they, they would strangle them. Yeah, I, um, I so that's why I always that. talk about, yeah, the flesh ones. Uh, and then the, the, the next thing to identify your pet in case that you get it lost. So other than a chip, a tracker, or an identification tag, some cats also or dogs are tattooed. That's another way to, uh, to show that, um, you know, they're yours, mm -hmm. but you should always have a current picture of you and your pet. Mm -hmm. And that again is something, uh, especially in case of an emergency, I just talked to a paramedic and she said, you know, people don't realize that let's say there's an emergency or you're out in the middle of nowhere and your cell phone doesn't work. None of the pictures that you have on your phone are accessible anymore. And if let's say you and your pet got separated in some way, by you having a picture with you and the pet in the picture, you can say, yes, this dog is mine. Mm. So if you just have a picture of the dog, right. that yeah. could be anything, right? right? And people don't really think about that, that you should always have a current picture of yourself and your pet. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good tip yeah. and keep it in your wallet. You know, I know a lot of us don't carry pictures in our wallets anymore. Right. But exactly. if you're going to travel with your pet or even just in general, that's a great picture to put in your wallet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'd like to add too that having the microchip is a great idea, but it's only as effective as you keeping the information up to date. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of people, I can't tell you how many people, because we work with the local rescue here and where we find dogs or, or cats that are microchipped, but there's no information on mm -hmm. there. So people get their dog microchipped, but then they forget to log on to the website and put in their information. Mm -hmm. That might be just innocent ignorance. You think that Absolutely. when you just go and get a microchip that all that's taken care of at the vet, when in fact it is not. No. Some places- so it's really important. Like I know that I worked at this animal control center for 
a short period of time. And when the animal or when they come in, it's like we get their information all up to date. And then their information, I believe, is put all in the microchip. You're absolutely right. I mean, um, most of the veterinarians or places that I know that put in the microchip, they expect for you to create an account and and put in your information so they won't do it for you. But, But you're absolutely right. It could be that people simply thought that that would automatically happen. And so Mm -hmm. they don't even think about checking in, Mm -hmm. which is very sad because, you know, you went through all of the trouble of having your pet microchipped and then it's, well, at least everybody who's listening to this podcast right now will know, (laughs) check your microchip website and get your information correct. Right. And make sure that if you move or if there's any change in phone number or anything like that, make sure that you contact the microchip company and get that information updated. Exactly. Yep. I think another thing too to consider is the type of leash and collar and harness and all of that type of thing that you use with your dogs or even maybe with your cat if you walk your cat or something like that to make sure that they're secure that they're not going to be able to break out of it or it's not going to choke them or different things like that yeah we bought an escape proof one that matched our purple color (laughs) (laughs) i love it (laughs) yeah no absolutely and uh you know i in the book actually i talk about that a little bit and in fact i i use a personal experience the um on the book cover there's uh, our three dogs are on the book cover and the big dog our chesapeake bay retriever when he was a puppy we went to venice beach in california which is a very very busy place there's all kinds of street vendors and street artists and people on skateboards and we had uh, just a regular collar on him and he backed up because he heard there were like three four people coming down the boardwalk on their skateboards Mm -hmm. and he had never heard that sound before Mm -hmm. And was really scared. And so he backed up and as he backed up, the collar broke off. Mm. And it was a perfect example of the fact, uh, what I mentioned earlier, that we teach all of our dogs the safest places with us. Because in that situation, it would have been very easy for him to just run away and, and look for a place to hide because he was so afraid. And he didn't know where that sound was coming from. But because we had worked with him on, you know, we're the safest place, he backed out, the collar broke, he stood there for a moment, and then he just came over to us. And so that was very, very fortunate for us. But based on that, I also in the book like to talk about, just like Miranda just said, you know, make sure that your gear is appropriate, check it. Um, I these days prefer what is called a martingale collar over a regular collar, because a regular collar will always be a little loose because you don't want it really, really tight. Where a martingale collar is gonna be loose, unless the dog tries to back out to it and then it actually tightens up so that it cannot slip over the dog's head mm-hmm. or, you know, have a, a double setup where you could have a harness and a collar set up so that if one breaks, the other could be mm-hmm. there. I also recommend that anybody would bring extra leashes and collars because, and again, use the story in the book. We've done this a couple of times because we love uh, letting our dogs off leash whenever possible. They're well-trained. So we were at this dog park. We put, you know, we parked right in front of the dog park. We had our dogs on the leash. We walked into the, into the dog park and let the dogs run around in this enclosed area. And then Jim just opened the hatchback as we're getting ready to leave. Both dogs jump into the back of the vehicle. Well, the leashes were clipped onto the fence at, at the dog park. I think this was somewhere in Los Angeles. So we're driving off and 50 minutes down the road, I'm like, I think we left those leashes oh, no. at the dog park. <laughs> so always kind of good to have some extras or you got to drive all the way right. back or buy new ones. <laughs> but, you know, especially in situations, we we oftentimes go camping now that we have the fifth wheel set up and we're going to be in areas where there's not going to be a possible way to purchase a second leash mm-hmm. because ours broke or we forgot it or it got lost someplace. So I always bring extras. Yeah. Always good to set yourself up for success ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you talk about in your book with camping with your animals? how to keep them safe. Cause I mean, there's more of a risk for them to come into contact with wild animals during camping. So do you talk about that in your book as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, several different aspects about that. Of course, um, number one thing is that, you know, you should always have your dog on the leash whenever you're hiking in areas for one, if it's required. Like I mentioned, we do love to have our dogs off leash and there are plenty of off leash opportunities, but off leash behavior has to be, it's a skill. Thank <laughs> you. 
And part of off-leash behavior is also a confident and um, unmistakable recall, which means that your dog knows that when you call, he comes back 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. And that is something that we talk about. And few dog owners understand the difference between, oh my, you know, I call my dog and you know, he might, or he might not come mm-hmm. and, you know, I'll chase him around and try to put the leash on versus when I call my dog, my dog comes. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very important, at least for me as a dog owner, when I travel with my pets, because again, as you're on the trail, if you're able to let your pet off leash, but there might be other hikers that are not comfortable with the pet being off leash. So I always make sure that when I encounter other people on the trail, that I put my dogs back on the leash. Mm-hmm. There could be wildlife. I've had an encounter with a wolf where my um, Jack Russell was almost running up to a wolf thinking it was another dog. And I was able to call her back to me because otherwise I probably wouldn't, she wouldn't be 12 years old today. She would have been long gone. Scary. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, so those types of encounters are obviously something that's very, very important that your dog has learned to come back to you when you call them. I teach all of my dogs that when I go hiking, they can never be out of my sight. So although they're off leash, they can't run around the corner or get off the trail, you know, run into the bushes or tall grass. So they they have to stay where I can see them. So I think that's very important as well. Mm -hmm. I wish a lot of people would take the time to properly train their dogs to be Mm -hmm. off leash. I see way too many people who think, oh, my dog, he sits, he rolls over, he stays, he's well-behaved. I can let him run off leash down the sidewalk in my neighborhood, Mm -hmm. despite the cars. I'm so against that. I see that all the time. And I'm sorry, unless you've worked with a behaviorist for an extended period of time, I personally, again, so (laughs) you're putting your animal in harm's way. So my advice to all of our listeners out there is you listen to her words carefully. Come back and listen to it again. Don't let your dogs off leash unless you've worked to the level that she has just described. The whole point in traveling with your animal is not only to enjoy the experience with your animal, but to keep them safe whilst doing that. Mm -hmm. That's my, that's my little piece of advice. (laughs) (laughs) Don't just think you can go take your dog off leash wherever Mm -hmm. you want. If you have not worked with them to the extent that Birgit has mentioned to you. Mm -hmm. And I I like how you describe the in-home dog training that you provide, that you don't actually train dogs. You teach the owners to better communicate with their pets. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah, it's not it's not dog training, you know, and and that's the thing. Animals learn very very quickly, and you know, one of the things when we, when it comes to behavior, we love to tell people there are no good or bad behaviors. There are only wanted and unwanted behaviors. And when we can properly communicate with our pets, these are the behaviors I want you to do, and these are the behaviors I don't want you to do. Mm-hmm. It's very very easy to have a, a wonderful, well-behaved pet, mm-hmm. and I think that's what everybody enjoys. And again, that's what we saw when we when we decided to write the book is that people all over were telling us if my dog was as well behaved as your dog here in the restaurant or here in the hotel or going down the road then I would take my dog but I don't think I can and that's when we realized there's a need because we really feel that the majority of pets do very well traveling or going on adventures with their owners if the communication was better and they would understand what was expected from them. And if they would feel safe, because that's the number one thing when you take, and again, now we're kind of coming full circle again to the very beginning of our conversation, but when you take an animal out of their comfortable environment, the stress that they're going into by doing that, and this is not just taking a a dog from Arizona to California to the beach. This is taking your dog from the home backyard where he's, where he's comfortable to, you know, down to Home Depot and walk through the aisles. Mm -hmm. When you do that and the dog hasn't learned to trust you first, he has nobody to rely on and he's not going to be comfortable unless he's a very, very self-confident animal Mm -hmm. and and very few pets these days are. Most pets look for somebody to give them that comfort. So 
that has always been our number one mission is to let people know, get that relationship where your pet knows that 100% of the time you are there for them and you are the safest place for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciate all the different tips and suggestions that you have offered to our listeners. I think it's a great wealth of knowledge and I highly encourage people to pick up your book. Again, it's called Keep Your Paws on the Road, A Practical Guide to Traveling with Dogs. But I think you said that a lot of that applies to other pets as well in the book, right? Absolutely. Yeah. One last question mm -hmm. I have. Cats and litter boxes. When you travel, is there anything that you can give to myself? And to our listeners, those who have cats, of the best ways to do that. Is there a way to do potty on demand with cats as well? Yeah, I would definitely use a litter box, more, more maybe a smaller size. And, and you might have to sort of make a, a makeshift litter box because litter boxes tend to be pretty big. And unless you have a huge car, it might take up a, a huge space. But you certainly can. And yes, you should uh, teach your cat, just like you might teach a dog to potty on command. The other option for people that love to travel with their cats is um, a lot of cats can learn to actually use a regular bathroom. Mm. Like you can teach a cat to actually do their business oh. in the toilet. And if you're staying in a vacation rental or a hotel room, that would probably be an even better option than to, you know, always have a litter box with you. Oh, that's good to know. What about going into the bathtub or, or shower? Is that an option too? Well, it could be an option, but that would be kind of not so easy to clean up. Right. So I would think you know, teaching the, the cat to be in the toilet and they can, yeah. some cats even flush the toilet. I only mentioned that because I remember reading an account from an animal communicator and the cat apparently had a preference for going in the bathtub <laughs> compared to the litter box. So <laughs> some cats are weird. Yeah, I, I would definitely discourage them. <laughs> yeah, that would be kind of not so fun when you're trying to do right. your shower at 6am in the morning right. and you got to clean up the cat yeah, poop. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Yeah. Yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> so is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, I just uh, would love to invite people to uh, check out our website. It's just uh, www.mcs.dog. And um, you'll find a link there to both our YouTube channel and our podcast. So a lot of the training tips that we give, also dog-friendly travel adventures we share on our YouTube channel. And we also have a lot of great products. And we have uh, our podcast shares um, interviews that we do with people that have a passion for pets. Mm -hmm. Lots of great information there. So I would definitely go and check that out out. Mm -hmm. And if our listeners want to connect with you, would they go to your website or what would be the best way for them to try to connect with you? Yes. The easiest way is to uh, go to the website and, you know, contact us through the website there. Okay. You can find the book on Amazon. We'll put the links for the website, the other social media platforms, and for the book all in our show notes. Yeah. Show notes. Show notes. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. And we also, um, if you're on Facebook, we have a Facebook group called uh, Keep Your Paws on the Road where other people share their travel adventures. So that's kind of a great resource because there's been a lot of travels that, that, that Jim and I haven't done without pets. And so we started that community so people can share their experiences and travel tips. I think I'll be joining that. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there's some cat travelers out there. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably some pretty interesting stories that people will share in there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Animal Files, Birgit. We are happy to have you and we hope that everyone goes to your website and takes advantage of all the information that you provide. I appreciate it. Both uh, Victoria and Miranda, thank you. My pleasure to being here today. Great. Well, we will see you around the podcasting world. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.